Welcome to the Creative Coaching Podcast, where we bring together coaches, athletes, former athletes, leaders, and influencers. Everyone has a story, and my hope is that when you listen to their stories, you will be inspired and live your life to tell your story one day. Today's guest is CJ Haydock. Coach Haydock is the head coach at Fresno Pacific University. We talked to him today about fighting for credibility, sweat equity, putting first things first within our program, how not to be a fraud, and he discusses his four pillars of culture with us. I hope you enjoy this podcast and you look to get better every day. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. Hey, thanks, Mike. Appreciate you having me and just just really loving what you're doing and uh, just a great uh, message you're putting out there for coaches. And um, I've been consuming podcasts for the better part of ten years. And there's a there's something that's grabbed me a little bit in terms of the niche you're carving out and the service you're doing. And I, I really appreciate you letting me contribute. Coach, I, I thank you for taking the time and making the time because I, I know as a head coach uh, there at Fresno Pacific, you've got a lot of things coming down the the pike here, and, and you could really be using your time for, for other things. And uh, I'm just so thankful that you're taking the time. So uh, moving forward, how were you introduced to the game? Uh, so I have a brother who's uh, 18 months older than me. And so, uh, and I grew up in the nineties and my family was a no cable family yeah. and we had a Nintendo <laughs> later, but it was, it was, locked in a closet and it was one of those situations where it'd come down for like two hours every other month and then get put back up there. <laughs> nice. uh, it was like RBI baseball days. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so when you got a built-in brother like that, a built-in best friend like that, you just, you just grow up sweating all the time, you yeah. know? Yeah. And uh, I was blessed to have an unbelievable father who uh, I think gave me the greatest gift a father can give like this unbelievable uh, irrational belief that his kids could do anything. And, uh, he coached us, uh, at a young age in rec leagues, basketball wise and baseball wise. Um, so that was my first introduction was playing on the same team as my brother. Cause my brother's one grade older than me coached by my dad. And I think when you write it that way, um, there's no way you're not going to fall in love with that game. So he coached us in like rec league hoops and little league baseball um honestly baseball was my first love um I probably preferred baseball uh growing up a little bit more and as the story is I think for lots of youths in our lives um I had a coach in uh early middle school kind of ruined baseball for me wow and uh and really kind of fell in love with basketball I I was gifted with really good coaches all the way through basketball and started basketball a little more serious and uh in high school and Um, got to interact with some coaches who poured into me and are as influential uh, in my life, not only in terms of my career, my profession, um, but in who I am. Um, Those came through hoops. um, And and that was, uh, you know, kind of the comprehensive how I got into hoops for sure. Gotcha, coach. So I I heard somewhere on a podcast that you were on that uh, you were a Spurs fan. And uh, I'm here in San Antonio, Texas right now. And, uh, I didn't grow up a Spurs fan. I grew up a Bulls fan because of Michael Jordan, which is, you know, kind of the obvious for a lot of people. But, you know, yeah, no you throw out some of those Spurs players, Vinny Del Negro, 
you know, guys like that, man, that when I heard you say those days, that it took me way back because I, I just way back. good, you know, some good times. And, you know, the Spurs had a good run here and there and everywhere as a Spurs fan growing up, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's almost poetic that I ended up doing what I did. So I grew up on the central coast of California uh-huh. and then moved to Fresno when I was, when I was 10. And so we kind of grew up in a geographic area where you kind of picked and choose um, your sports fandom kind of randomly. Yeah. And I ended up like a Detroit Lions fan, a Seattle wow. Mariners fan wow. and, uh, and a, Do- a little bit of the Dodgers and then a, um, a Spurs fan. And so, uh, the fact that my wisest choice, the most successful team I chose, uh, I, there might there might be some causation there in the fact that, you know, the fondness that created growing up watching those teams and watching them play the right way. Yeah. Uh, that may be connected to the fact that basketball is the way is the path I eventually chose for myself. Um, and uh, now it's so rewarding to do what I do and then have a team that you get to turn on the TV and they play the, play the game you love and give your life to. Uh, the right way, but yeah, those those old teams, man. Sean Elliott, Avery yeah. Johnson, yeah. Speedy Claxton. Yeah. Uh, oh Claxton. man, wow. those teams were fun. Yeah, no, great stuff, man. And, and as a kid, they were very uh, accessible to us, and they were always great in the community. Especially Avery Johnson, phenomenal in in, in the community. But uh, so yeah, Coach, I uh, you know you you talk about growing up in Fresno, man. You're born and raised, man. Still there. Uh, coached in high yeah. school, coached at the high school, one of the local high schools there. Uh, man, what was, what's that like being, because everybody has this perception of California, like beaches or, or the Redwood Forest. What's Fresno like for you? Man, uh, it's hard to put into words. I think Fresno, uh, we, we have this conversation on the daily with our, with our team and with our coaching staff. Um, I think Fresno is one of the most underappreciated places in the world. I really do. Um, you're talking a city with immense diversity. Uh, you're talking a city um, who's got burgeoning economies in multiple areas. Um, it's a town that'll get behind a great athletic product. Um, and uh, it's a great place to grow up and raise a family. Um, I love our town. I love our city. My wife's family is here. Obviously, our kids are here. Uh, my family's here. Um, it's a place that's an immense uh, athletic community that wants to see its teams do it the right way. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's a really wonderful town. I think it's underrated, that's for sure. Fantastic, Coach. So when you thought about going into coaching, did your dad have any hand in that? Or who who was kind of the main influence or some of the influences you had to go into coaching? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think watching my or like having some of my earliest memories that doing that with my dad, I think that's for sure part of it. Uh, I think I have a, the moment, um, you know, you have these things in life where you don't know they're existing in the moment, yeah. but if you look back at them, you realize they're, they are these rich transformative moments. Um, I think I know the moment that I knew, knew I was supposed to coach. Um, I had a, I had a tremendous high school basketball coach named Chris Schultz, uh, coach Schultz, uh, was a groomsman in my in my wedding later on. Um, wow. He's somebody. He's out of coaching now. He's a pastor now, but um, somebody I I have regular connections with, and who still has a mentorship role in my life. And um, 
uh, I had a moment where um, I had the privilege of playing with my brother on our high school basketball team. And the summer of my uh, junior year, we had a uh, immediate family relative in the hospital and we weren't sure if that family member was going to make it. And uh, as kids are apt to do, uh, we were in that hospital limbo that I think most people have experienced at some point in their life yeah. with a loved one where you just, you don't really know what to do with yourself. You can hang around the hospital. You know, we were 16 and 17 years old respectively. And it was a Saturday in June where we had like a, uh, a summer game and uh, against one of our rivals, uh, a, a game that had some meaning to it, some chippiness to it. And I'll never forget, uh, me and my brother just kind of dopely thinking like, yeah, like we'll just go play in our games today. Like what else are we going to do? Um, and made sure we apprised coach Schultz of our situation. And obviously there's a, there's an emotional overtone there. And I think sometimes when you play athletics, um, the things that exist in your life come to the forefront. And I remember yeah. we got blasted that day by our rival. I mean, yeah. I, I think we lost by 40 and <laughs> I have a, Goodness. one of the most foundational moments of my life. My brother and I were both pretty important members on that team. And uh, in the second half, we were down big. And my brother played a little point guard for us. And he had his like, 15th turnover and had to come out of the game. And is sitting on the end of the bench dejectedly. Um, later on in the game, I pick up a technical foul in a scrum with someone from the other team. And uh, I come off the floor and I go sit at the end of the bench by my brother. And uh, Coach Schultz comes over. The game is still going on against a rival. Our team needs him, but he realizes real quick, quickly that my brother and I and what we have going on is more important. Yeah. And he kind of like wedges his way in between the two of us, and he puts one arm around me and one arm around my brother. Uh, there's some emotion and there's some tears there, yeah. um, more about what's going on in our personal lives than the game. And he wow. bows his head with us, and he just says, just cry. Wow. Just cry. And he sat there. I don't know how much time there is in the game. You know how hindsight is. You start to think it was much more. I, I feel like it was like 20 minutes. But um, <laughs> yeah, he just yeah, sat yeah. there for the remainder of the game with his arm around us, just recognizing that in that moment, however many turnovers my brother had, whatever kind of knucklehead behavior I had had, it didn't matter, but that we needed him. Yeah. And uh, I don't know that there's a more definitive moment uh, in my life. There's definitely not one that comes to why I ended up in coaching, wow. but in terms of what I aspire to be, uh, in terms of what I think this game can be, uh, that is without a doubt the moment that looking in hindsight, like, oh yeah, that is when my path was laid out for me, uh, in terms of who I wanted to be and how I wanted to coach. That's, that's a phenomenal story, coach. And that's golden because I think, uh, Man, as us as coaches, to be able to kind of see past ourselves and the situation and the game and, you know, all the, the different variables that you laid out, uh, you were, the, the coach was able to just stop. Coach Schultz was able to s step out and say, you know what, this is more important right now. And, yeah, I, I could, you know, be taking care of what I'm supposed to be taking care of as far as what was you know, conducting the game or however you want to look at it, managing it. I need to – conduct a you know person-to-person -person situation um, you know I always tell people it's about the Jimmys and Joes not so much about the X's and O's and, and a good coach is always able to do that because you know that's heart-to-heart uh, -heart stuff stuff that you never forget and obviously you didn't so man that, that's a really strong story there coach I really appreciate you sharing that with us 
I feel like it, it could really, uh, yeah. you know, help somebody to see those type of things as well. Uh, so kind of For like, sure. yeah, going in your coaching career, starting off in high school, coaching high school, and then now as a college coach, what was that transition like going from being a high school coach to coaching in college? I think, first of all, it was a dream come true. Um and an unlikely dream come true, right? I mean, I uh, <laughs> I didn't play college basketball. I started out, uh, I coached 11 years total as a high school coach. I started out as a JV assistant at a Division five high school. And wow. so then to fast forward 11 years and be a, at, at 30, be a Division two head coach was wild. That's amazing. Um, it's hard to describe, honestly. Um, and just a, yeah, just wild. Uh, I think the biggest thing, I get that question a lot because yeah. of that journey. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And I think the, the the biggest thing, the hoop is the hoop. Like between the lines, nothing changes. Yeah. Like maybe we get a little, you got more time to do it. Um, you maybe get in a little more depth. But most of the concepts that I really believe in, we took from high school, we've applied to college and they've worked. Now have we had to lead our personnel and do all those things for sure. But the hoop is the hoop. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing is, um, I, I just think that coming up through the high school ranks p- prepares you in such a multifaceted way, especially for small college coaching, right? Like we're a division two university. We've got a wonderful thing going on. Um, but we're not the best resource, uh, athletic program in the country. My first year as a head coach, I think I did 90% of the laundry. I think I did wow. three or four loads of laundry for our team every year. And yeah. I wonder if I hadn't come up as a high school coach, like driving Suburbans and getting on buses. And when your youth team needed someone to coach the fourth grade game or to keep score or uh, stat the, or do the, um, the yardsticks at the football game, I just yeah. wonder how I would have handled. Some of those things are more important, honestly, at the small college level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just the willingness to be flexible and understand that basketball is a significant portion of what you do, but these other things are equally vital and equally contributing. Um, I think the biggest thing I've learned is two things transitioning from high school to college. I think number one, um, the fight for credibility is way harder. And I mean that both with your student athletes and with your community in terms of with your student athletes, it's just a more intimate relationship. High school guys uh, generally have a little more uh, the fact that you're in a, and I, I worked at mostly private schools growing up. And so um, we had phenomenal young men and families that, that sent them to us. And so um, there was uh, almost created for us a culture of, of, of wanting to please authority, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think at the college level, there's just way, way more intimacy. There's way, way more opportunities to a fail your team and b acknowledge you failed your team and so um that has been the biggest adjustment i think and not only your team but your administrative staff your compliance director uh your residence directors on your campus uh the group of alumni that you want to make sure that you are um making proud of the experience and the identity that you're carving out yeah. Uh, I think that adjustment by far has been the hardest to uh, live up to, if that makes sense. Um, definitely, definitely. That for sure, that credibility and that intimacy is a whole nother level at this level. So, Coach, when you moved over a chair from lead assistant to head coach, what was that like as far as like, okay, now you got the keys 
to the car. Uh, now, you know, you talked about driving a van and to getting on buses, but what kind of transition was that as far as now you have, yes, you have more responsibility, but now you have more authority as well. How, how was that transition? Uh, I think I was able to draw on a bunch of my high school head coaching experience. Um, it's hard to describe, right? Like we try to prepare our assistants as best we can to be head coaches. Um, we have lots of guys that play for us that talk about wanting to be head coaches one day. We try to prepare them for that and try to get them to think like that. But it, it's, it's hard to stimulate <laughs> how yeah. much uh, decision, even the smallest of decisions when you know you answer to 17 dudes on your team yeah. and a whole community. It's hard to, it's hard to articulate or prepare young people for the gravity of those decisions, if yeah. that makes sense. So I think oh, that, and then I think, um, you know, there's a biblical idea that Paul expresses about being all things to all people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really challenging because you got to be all things to all people as a head coach. And I think yeah. keeping an alignment, Hey, this, these are the things that are most important uh, to our program. And therefore, uh, we got to do them. I remember my first two years here. Uh, I just finished year three as my head coach here at Fresno Pacific. I remember my first two years here um, uh, being a little frustrated with our inability to create an identity, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And I had the guy, I had an assistant in charge of defense who was better at coaching defense, X's and O's, leading our guys, motivating our guys than than, than I was. But last year, and last year I jumped over and coached that side of the ball, um, not because I needed to do it, but because our guys needed to see me do it. Yeah. Because there's something about that gravity and that authority that comes with that head coach title. Um, we ran all the same stuff. We defended ball screens the same way. We, we harped on things the same way. We certainly made adjustments because you're always learning and grew, growing, but our structure was the same. And we saw like leaps and bounds improvement because you just have to choose those things that are most important to you. Um, as much as we want to empower our assistants and do all those things, you got to choose two or three things your program is going to be known by, and they have to be yours as a head coach. I think that is, that is a, a huge learning point uh, for me in terms of being in the trenches and doing it every day. The two or three things that are most important, those have got to be mine. Compliance is a huge one for us as an NCAA D2 school. Um, I do all the compliance for our guys. I do all our paperwork. I do all our care logs. I do all that stuff because it's really important to us as a Christian university and our integrity. And so um, you got to choose those two or three things that are the things that mean the most to your your university, and, and you have to personally do them. Um, you can't necessarily equip someone else, um, because, you know, the society we live in really values the title on the door. Um, even if other people are more qualified than you to do it. Yeah, no, I hear you completely coach. That's fantastic. So that kind of leads me to my next question, uh, because in your introductory press conference, uh, you, you laid out four points for the culture that you were going to build there for that program. And it really stood out to me because I had never heard, well, maybe I shouldn't say I never heard it, but not as of, you know, recently had I heard a coach lay out four points uh, of, of what he was going to do and what the, the identity of the team was going to be moving forward. Uh, and to some people that could sound like, wow, that's really ambitious. But, you know, you lay down what you're, you lay, down, lay out what you're going to do from the get 
I think there's the expectations will kind of follow that path. And uh, you, you, you were very convincing in it. And, and I really kind of want you to break that down for us because it left an impression on me when I heard it. So, so can you kind of go through those four points? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, I think first, I, I think the uniqueness of the situation that I, I'm a Fresno Pacific University alum. Yeah. Um, and I had been here as an assistant, so I had a pretty good pulse. Um, we get, we, we get high school coaches who will come hang around our program and watch practice and we'll have dialogue and try to help them and grow them. And sometimes they're like, Hey, do you mind if I take your, your four points of culture and, and use them for my team? And I always caution them like, Hey, if you want to take one or two, that's great. But like, those were really created for our institution. What works here at Fresno Pacific yeah. isn't going to work down the street at the local community college, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I think that uniqueness allowed us to kind of create, um, a compelling vision. So before I dive into what they are, the other thing we try to do, I'm sitting in my office right now staring at them in very large uh, font on my wall. <laughs> um, uh, we tried to brand ourselves that way. Yeah. Um, we've tried to coach through them. When we hold guys, we actually chart, um, we chart culture stats in practice. Wow. Um, and we actually try to coach through accountability. So we actually have uh, one of my student assistants will sit at the table and he'll chart a couple things during practice. But one of the things he'll chart is, Hey, you get a you get a point, and we'll post it in the locker room on Fridays. When when first things stayed first, when a teammate hit the floor and you sprinted over there, you were the first one there. That's first thing staying first. That's your relationship coming mm-hmm. first and foremost. So if if they are just things on my wall, and and you know the other thing is when guys let us down in our program, when they need us, when they need to be held accountable, <laughs> when they need to come into my office and shut the door, and me to explain to them how they fell short. We try to use the same language. We try to use the same terminology in terms of this is the standard that we've established, and this is the, this is how that uh, you have fallen short in this specific category. If that makes sense, because we don't want yeah. them to be just things on the ball. So the four uh, the four uh, qualities or, or values of our program we say are uh, first thing, stay first, lay down our lives, stay in our lane and change your chase. And I'll kind of go through those one by one by one. Um, so for first thing, stay first, uh, there's a really great, great quote from Francis Chan, who's a pastor yeah. who says our greatest fear in life should be succeeding at things that don't matter. <laughs> and, wow. uh, for us, that's, that's first thing, right? So first things for us are our academics, uh, our integrity, our service and our relationships, right? So, uh, we just finished year three, of being here uh since we've been here as a coaching staff our team has seen a 1.2 gpa increase wow collective wow if that makes sense that's huge since we've been here we've we, in three years we've done 11 well okay i'm, I'm exaggerating we've done 1099 community service hours in our backyard in the city wow. of fresno that's big um we've got we've graduated 100 percent of our of the guys that we recruited um, that's wow. first thing staying first, right? Yeah, yeah. We are built mostly on four and five year guys, guys that come to us as freshmen and either redshirt or play right away. Um, but you know, uh, we want to have really vibrant, alive relationships. We want my relationship and our assistant coaches relationship with our guys to be at the forefront. And, uh, you know, we've had division one transfers come here, multiple of them, D2 transfers for that matter too. And say like, 
you know, on their exit interviews when they're done with their career here, they'll say, Coach, I, I was at this Division One school, and I literally never stepped foot in my head coach's office. I literally wow. never saw him except for on the bus and on the practice floor. And for us, that's just the complete opposite. I think we've accepted that somewhat in basketball culture, yeah. uh, and we just refuse to accept that. So um, we want our guys to know that we are going to love on them. And we talk a lot in the recruitment process about – Hey, our walk-on needs to get the same investment from our staff um, as our leading score. And yeah. if not, we're frauds. We're not who we say we are. Wow. So that's first thing, stay first. Uh, we talk about laying down our lives, which uh, to me is a, is a little bit visual. It's the most visual of yeah. all of them. Yeah. Um, you know, And I think that just reinforces how much can we give of ourselves? How much can we serve? How much can we be invested in others? Um, you know, in basketball, there's some very visual examples of that. The extra pass, dives on the floor, charges are all people literally laying down their lives for their teammates. Yeah. Um, and so how much can we lay down our lives for each other? Uh, we talk about staying in our lane a lot. Um, I promise I was saying it before LeVar Ball. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we, uh, sure, I, I just, I, <laughs> we, we just, um, we think gratitude is the antidote to entitlement. Yeah. And we think I love uh, that point. I love that point. Love yeah. That. So we try to, we try to reinforce some gratitude. Um, we think basketball and sports culture in general uh, has an entitlement aspect to it. And, yeah. and I don't mean that just for student athletes. I think uh, coaches in our business as well have to check that just aggressively as we ask our student athletes to check it. Uh, and then, you know, the other part about staying in our lane is, the most successful relationships, you could say organizations, I would say relationships, um, people have lanes, right? Yeah. Um, you know, my relationship with my kids, my wife is better at some aspects of that, and I'm better at some aspects of that. Yeah. We have our lanes. And when I try to get into my wife's lane uh, in parenting, it doesn't go well. Yeah. And so it's the same thing with our team, right? Yeah. Um, when I try to meddle on the offensive side of the ball instead of letting my assistant do it, we get worse. Yeah. When, when, when guys who aren't great shooters try to chuck it up there more than they should <laughs> instead of the very specific shots we ask yeah. them to take, we get worse. Yeah, so that's staying our lane for us. And then the last, uh, we say change our chase. That's, it's just, the, you know, it, Nick Saban has the process. Uh, John Wooden talks about it a lot, about being the best version of yourselves. Yeah. Uh, for us, we just want to remind our guys to ch chase the best version of themselves in whatever task is right there in front of them, and we'll worry about wins and losses later. We don't, Even when we're in the middle of a game, we don't want to be worried about the outcome of the game. We want to worry about how can we execute what's right in front of us to the best of our ability. Yeah. When we get into September and we're in the weight room, how can we attack uh, this, this deadlift to the best of our ability? How can we be the best teammate in that moment? How can we be the best student that day? Um, let's not chase outcomes. Let's chase the best version of ourselves and the outcomes to take care of ourselves. So I yeah. rambled a little bit. No, that, no, that, man. That's our four. I appreciate that, man, because like I said, it really stuck out to me, uh, the part about entitlement. You know, I think, you know, you, you said specifically that y'all reject entitlement. I think the more that we can get that gospel out there, the better off our cultures yeah. will, will be in, either in uh, in the program, the organization, uh, the business market, everywhere. I mean, once people really understand, like, whatever you're going to get in life, you work for it. Because that kind of the idea of that is kind of going away slowly but surely. And, uh, and I just for think sure. it needs to for be sure. reinforced. 
because it's, it's uh, I don't know, it's just a must. And gratitude really is uh, a great, great solution to all that. The more you wake up and say, I'm just thankful to be alive. Uh, I'm thankful that I have this opportunity to have us to be uh, either on scholarship or on the team as a walk-on, whatever the situation is. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, here again, like your story, high school coach to being a head coach, it, it, you know, in your hometown at your alma mater, man, what a, what a boatload of gratitude you probably carry with you. And I think that's uh, so key to, to growth and, and also to kind of conveying that uh, idea of rejecting, uh, you know, entitlement to your players. So I, I think of young people, in particular college players and high school guys, I think of identity that they kind of struggle with that at times because they're so caught up in the game or what they can do in the game or, or whatever in, in the culture of basketball and in that what's what's important to them becomes their identity uh, and they might not have the right clue of what that identity is. So how important, Coach, is self-awareness in, achi- in achieving your team goals so each individual knows, you know, where they're headed and what they're doing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think, yeah, I think self-awareness, I, w- I would say uh, other awareness as well, right? Like, wow, yeah. I think, I think part of the entitlement issue is we propagate this myth sometimes in sports culture, uh, in larger culture of the idea of self-made. And I think that's an yeah. entirely myth. Right. Um, Our team is successful, not just because of the 17 dudes and our athletic trainer and our five coaches, but also because we have a really good sports information staff. Yeah. We're successful because we have an unbelievable academic advisor on this campus. We're successful because we have an athletic director who's willing to paint a vision for us. So I think I think you have to convince your your team of that a little bit. Right. That they're that they're not self-made, that there are a lot more than the people who score points. Uh, that go into it. Um, and then the other thing, I think if you want to have self-awareness, you got to provide constant feedback. But yeah. that feedback, if you don't have sweat equity and personal credibility with your team, that feedback's not going anywhere. And I don't mean sweat yeah. equity like a coach needs to jump into practice to demonstrate a rep. I mean sweat equity like, yeah, like you, you want to shoot after practice? I'll, I'll rebound for you. I got you. Yeah, That's yeah. that kind of sweat equity. And then the credibility of being able to say sometimes as a leader, hey, I, you know, we weren't our best version of ourselves today. And that responsibility falls on me. I brought bad energy into the gym. Our practice structure was off. The way I composed this drill threw us off. Um, I think that ownership uh, of our own failures goes a lot farther. So we try to create that self-awareness for our guys a couple ways. Um, we try to give constant feedback and then uh, like formal feedback, if that makes then yeah Uh, so like constant feedback we chart in practice and in games uh we have something called the chair which is which is something we sit in before every game it goes on every road trip with us Uh and it's basically hustle stats deflections offensive rebounds dives on the floor um those kind of things those things are posted um every every day for our guys um we have the culture chart chart i told you about that's posted for our guys every day in terms of you got this many positive culture points in our four uh pillars of culture you got this many negative points in our four pillars of culture um we do weekly practice strats that are that are you know we, we choose the seven or eight that we value the most um they're pretty analytics driven 
Um, and that way we're creating and painting this picture of self-awareness for our guys yeah. consistently. Then the formal process comes along where we do a couple different things in our program. Uh, every two weeks, um, I will meet with every guy on our team and we'll have what we call a first things meeting in which we're only talking about the things that matter in life. So we're not talking hoop. Um, there's no hoop talk allowed. I'm asking, okay, how are we moving you closer to your professional dream? How are we moving? What's going on in the relationship with your girlfriend? Yeah. When's the last time you spoke to your parents? Hey, talk to me about your, you know, the relationships that matter most to you. Talk to me about your hopes and dreams and how we can help you achieve those things. Wow. And I think if, if, if we were just to call them into our office and say, all right, here, which we do, um, if we didn't have those first things meetings as a jumping off point, I, I, then when I call them into my office three times a year for a formal review, a formal evaluation, and I look dudes in the eye and try to tell them with love, hey, you know, your work ethic on a scale of one to 10 is, is a six. I don't, I don't that would land as well if we didn't have the credibility of, hey, I, I'm going to work to get you closer to your dream. Yeah. Hey, I'm invested in you, whatever player's name is, more than this formal evaluation. If that makes sense. I don't, yeah. I don't think any of those pieces, when you talk about self-awareness, can be separated from each other if you want maximum impact. So, you know, we do that three times a year where we call them in and we ask them to do a self-evaluation and we ask them to, you know, how are you in terms of your selflessness? One, you know, scale of one to 10. How are you in terms of your faithfulness to the process? How, 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 um, uh, in terms of your trust of your teammates on a scale of one to 10, what do you think it is? And then, you know, often usually they're all eight, nine, cents, And, uh, (laughs) and then we'll, we'll have a real honest dialogue with them about, what that really is, but I don't think I could do that as a head coach and get any sort of result, get any sort of uh, contemplative change if we hadn't laid the groundwork of I'm for you and I'm for your growth as a yeah. human, and that's way more important than this evaluation. I, I think you get increasing results when those things are all joined together, if that makes sense. That's fantastic, Coach. I think that's really uh, a player's first program. Uh, and, and, and I think that's by definition, that's exactly what a player's first program should look like, not just a hashtag or a, uh, a cool saying. Oh, man. Like it really – It's funny you – Go ahead. It's, it's funny you say that because we get, we get that a little bit um, – I get told that sometimes by other coaches, maybe in our league or whatever. It gets used a little bit to like negative recruit against us. Um, coaches will sometimes say it to you, and you can tell it's a little bit passive-aggressive. They'll say, you know <laughs> – Oh yeah, you can just really tell you're really a player's coach, and I always get a big smile. Like, yeah, absolutely, I'm a player's coach. I yeah. I, I would rather say I'm a I'm more of a millennial head coach. I think is a better way to yeah. say it. But yeah. uh, uh, it's funny you say that because we get that consistently, yeah. and we wear that as a badge of honor. Yeah, you know, coach. What I've learned is that when you're doing something wrong, everybody will let you leave you be. But when you're doing something right, that's when all the critics and the, the naysayers and all the hate starts flowing or the, the snide comments or, you know, and I think that's, that's, that's to, uh, that's to your credit and to your staff's credit and to your, the culture is that uh, if people feel that way, maybe they should adopt the same idealism and maybe uh, try to implement that culture. And uh, you know, (laughs) I just, I just, I love that. It's not like, it's not one of those things where it's like, I love haters because I think that's one of the most ridiculous mindsets (laughs) to have. Uh, but at the same sure. time, 
man, I just, I really believe that when you take on criticism from people on the outside, especially people from other programs, uh, it's because they want something you have and they really do kind of value it themselves. Yet, for whatever reason, there's something holding them back from implementing something like that, whether it's pride or that's not how we used to do, we do things usually, um, whatever's in their way. It, it's, it's really unfortunate, but, you know, kudos to you, coach, for, for being able to, to, to do establish yourself as somebody that's known for that kind of culture. Um, so kind of leads me to my next question, coach, how do you individually uh, process feedback back or criticism? It's a really good question. I think, um, I think number one, um, it's very easy as a head coach at any level. This goes back to when I was a high school head coach. It's really easy to insulate yourself from feedback or criticism yeah. other than from the wrong places, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. It's really easy to protect yourself and have coaches on your staff that will follow you regardless. And then the only feedback or criticism uh, is the kind is coming from sources that are less than credible. Um, or don't have the, you know, the actual knowledge to um, speak into it. And then, then you've set yourself up for a really negative situation because you're now, you're not encountering consistent feedback or criticism that is from the people who should speak those things into your life. And instead you're going to get it negatively. You know, I think, (laughs) I, I mean, I think we, I took a really, a traditional path to get here. I was, I was an assistant coach at the college level. My college experience was nine months before I was a college head coach. And other than that, all the rest of my experience was all at the high school level. And so, um, I think with that, (laughs) we we just do things a little differently. Sometimes I think I view the world a little differently than most people in our business. Um, I don't have the sounding board or the network that most college coaches have. Uh, and so, uh, that almost gives me a little bit of a crutch, honestly, yeah. Uh, because I don't know any better than to try to build something that's really sustainable, that really is long-term interested in all those things. Yeah. But the other thing is, I think, I, I think you should. I, I think feedback or criticism should be part of our lives every single day. Yeah. Right. I want my spouse to tell me when I let her down and to give me feedback <laughs> or criticism. Right. Yeah. Uh, I want my I want my assistant coaches to 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 kindly and lovingly tell me when I let them down. Um, and so, if you create processes. Uh, to do that. I actually don't have final, I mean, I mean, I guess my technicality I do, but I have less influence on evaluating players and recruitment in my program than one of my assistants. We rely more on him because we feel like he's got a better grasp of it. There have been multiple times when I I wanted to recruit a kid and he will tell me, I don't think he can quite do it at this level. And I'll accept that. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's that's amazing. Yeah. That's not typical, but that's that's just part of it. And so yeah. I think if you if you have feedback and criticism part of your daily routine, I, I think you have an opportunity to get better. I think feedback or criticism from the right sources is a huge um, growth potential, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, we, have a, we have a leadership council with our team, three or four guys on it that meet with me once a week. And we work through a script of questions with them. And all of them are geared on, eh, we'll ask them to make decisions about what kind of gear they want and some travel decisions and where they want to eat and some stuff like that. But the script is all geared to, hey, what did you think about the stuff we put in this week? Did you think we were prepared to do it correctly? 
what do you think about our skill development this week? And is there something you think we're doing too much of or not enough of? Is there anything I need to know about the ways you feel like our coaches let you down this week? Um, and we give that voice to the right people on our team and they sit in my office without the assistant coaches in here, um, without the rest of the team in here. And those three or four guys will speak their very direct truths. And sometimes uh, it hurts my feelings and I got to get over those feelings. Uh, sometimes it requires an adjustment from their teammates. Yeah. It, it can require all kinds of things, but we've, we've created a process in which um, criticism and feedback comes to us from the right people and if you have that consistently, uh, then when it comes from the wrong sources, and I don't, I don't mean like anyone has ill intention, just maybe misinformed or doesn't have the depth of knowledge to be speaking on something, then it's easier to process that because you've had other people speak into it, if yeah. that makes sense. Complete sense, Coach. Uh, that's a great point. Uh, I just – I think feedback, and, and I always interject criticism as well because sometimes – we, depending on the mood we're in and our feelings, like you said earlier, we can take feedback as criticism or, uh, you yeah. know, we, we, we just, it just depends where we're at. And then as far as, you know, using it for growth, that's huge. And that's, and that's big because most people, their, their immediate uh, reaction is what needs to be a response, not a reaction. And I say response in that I respond with either making a change or considering making a change, therefore that growth comes into play. So really good stuff, Coach. And so what have you learned about yourself throughout your career as a coach? That's that's really tough. (laughs) (laughs) I think um, that concept I talked about earlier about being all things to all people, um, I think I've learned learned that sometimes to be – uh, that for my first things to stay first, uh, I have to let some people down, if that makes sense. Yeah, no. Um, uh, I think if I want the, you know, um, if I want the ability to speak into my guys' lives, um, if I want to, you know, consistently encourage them to get extra work in, then um, <laughs> that creates a almost uh, unattainable standard for self, right? Yeah. And so um, you have to have a real clear alignment of what's important to you. Yeah. Um, one of the conversations we have with our, with our young men all the time is uh, how to evolve their view of women, right? Okay. How to evolve how they view uh, women in our culture, how they treat their people that they're in relationships with, how they treat their mother, what yeah. they view those things. Well, well, that becomes a pretty large cross to bear if, you know, they're going to see me modeling that with my spouse of almost yeah. 12 years. My spouse has a career of her own. She's, she's a super successful educator. Wow. She's a person of great influence in our community. Well, if I'm going to preach at them the value of, uh, of, of uh, an entire gender, I've now created a standard for self that I got to live up to in terms of, yeah, my wife, uh, my wife has to help support this thing. Otherwise it could never go. (laughs) There's a lot of long nights, but I I better, I better give that right back in terms of my support for her profession and her vocation. Because if not, I'm a fraud, I'm leading our guys wrong. Right. I have a six year old son. um, And we talk to guys all the time about the kind of habits they're creating and what that's how that's going to influence um, we talk to them about their relationships with their fathers and how that's going to influence the kind of fathers they're going to be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if we haven't created a kind of culture where my six-year-old can be in the gym, 
where he can learn from our guys and our guys can learn from how I interact with him. Whew, I mean, then, then I don't get to speak to all those things in my young men's lives. Yeah. You know? And so um, I think big. I just have become more and more aware of how my family becomes, if I want to maximize my influence on the young men who teach me stuff every single day, I just have become more and more aware of what a, what a hefty standard that is for myself, if that makes sense. I think that's yeah. the biggest thing I've learned yeah. in 15 years doing this thing. So, Coach, you said you said something that was really key about, you know, kind of gaining an inroad into somebody's life to speak into it. That's all earned, man. That's all, like, you got to earn that. Mm-hmm. There's so much of, uh, I don't know, kids, especially good players at the high school level going into college, which most of us coach. Now it's like, okay, everybody's been telling you, you know, whispering sweet nothings in your ear. And here I am about to tell you how to get better and how you're having to start over in a sense. Uh, How do I gain that respect? How do I, uh, here again, gain that access to to speaking into your life? I think speaking into your life is such a great term because, uh, you know, speaking to people is one thing. Speaking into people is another because everything is a matter of the heart and it could be an issue of the heart. And when you speak into somebody, it goes straight to the heart if you're doing it the right way. And if it's coming from the right intentions and the, you know, all that. So I I think that's just so key what you said there about speaking into people's lives. Uh, I'm a huge proponent of, of coaches taking the time to learn who their players are and figuring out how to gain that trust and that inroad. I just, I just think it's huge and, and that we should all learn to do that. It'll make our jobs easier on the practice court on a, on a, in a game situation. Uh, kids will not, young people will not run through a wall for you if they don't believe that you have their best interest in mind. They may do it because that's who they are, but they'll, they won't do it consistently. At some point they'll say, you know what, the buck stops here. You're just using me, and uh, that, that's a tough situation. So uh, you know, here again, appreciate you using that terminology of speaking into people. Uh, it's huge. Yeah. So with that, For Coach, sure. uh, here again, I, I'm sure you have a long ways to go in your career. But judging from and, and judging from everything you've said, it seems like you're laying out a great path and foundation for where you're headed. So in that, you know, looking forward to what kind of legacy you're you're building. What would you want your legacy to be, Coach, when it's all said and done? Yeah, that's heavy. I think um, uh, I encountered a quote when I was in college from George Bernard Shaw, and it hangs above my in my office at home at different points. I mean, it's been 13 or 14 years since I printed it and framed it. Um, and I think it sums up really aptly that so I'm going to butcher it but I'm going to try to get it as right as I can Um, I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the community and as long as I live it is my privilege to do for it whatever I can I want to be thoroughly used up when I die for the harder I work the more I live life is no brief candle to me it is a splendid torch with which I have got a hold of for a moment and want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. And I think that, to me, wow. that's it for me. I think I found that at a young age, um, and I have gravitated towards that quote. 
I think, you know, I think um, the relationships I have with guys I've passed, I've coached for the last 15 years, the guys I get to check in with, those mean the world to me. And I, I just want to know that we produce young men who are unbelievable husbands and fathers and leaders, um, capable of in, impacting their own families uh, in a positive manner, but also capable of, um, you know, uh, the leadership, the cognitive ability in addressing the macro issues yeah. of our local communities, of our country, of our world. Uh, if we produce men of that caliber, I'm confident that A, wins come with producing men of that caliber, and B, that's that's succeeding at things in life that matter, if that makes yeah. sense. And so, Complete coach. Um, I hope and pray every day that we, we get closer to producing young men like that. Fantastic, Coach. Man, solid stuff. I'm definitely going to dive into that quote a little bit more because I'm big on community. And I just love yeah. that whole mindset of just servant leadership, using me, use me for you know, who I am. And uh, it's just so fantastic. And, and I really appreciate that. Coach, thank you so much for your time here again. And I know you've, uh, you've got plenty to, to do. And the fact that you made the time to be on, I really am thankful for it and, and appreciate you for that. For sure. Appreciate you having me and appreciate you continuing to uh, give growth opportunities to our business in a way that's really profound. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Creative Coaching Podcast. You can find us at iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, anchor and you can even follow us on twitter at creative coach 47 thank you